Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Here's Pastor Willie Taylor. The birth of Christ. I've learned this over the years. Um, You can email it or text me. When you text me, please let me know who you are because I will ask you, who are you texting me? And um, (laughs) so to avoid that awkward moment where I'm not responding, just go on and say, this is so-and-so, and I've learned, you know, this, or I get this from the Christmas story. And um, I will share it. I will try to share it next Sunday. Um, and, yeah, we'll go from there. I'm, I'm pulling up my phone so I can be aware of my time. That's all. So I'm not texting anyone or anything. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so we're going to talk about what can we learn from the birth of Jesus Christ. Um, and we're going to be focused on before the birth of Jesus, of course, his birth, and then right after the birth of Jesus. So we're not going to be too far off from that time period. Uh, and there's some scriptures that we're going to be using. I'm not going to read them all. I'm not going to actually read probably any of them, but you can read them at your leisure. Uh, I don't know if they're going to post it or not. But Matthew 1, 17 through 25, and then the whole chapter of Matthew, chapter 2, uh, and then Luke 1, 26 through 45, and then Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 40. And then any scripture that mentions or references the birth of Jesus, if that's something you want to use and when you want to inform me about that, uh, that would be great. And that's what we're going to use. Like I said, I'm not going to read all of that at all because we'll be here probably the whole time just reading that. Uh, but I'm going to jump right back and jump into what I want to give you guys and um, basically want to start with dispelling some myths about Christmas, before we get into uh, what I'm going to focus on is what I've learned, what I'm going to tell you, what I've gleaned or learned from the birth of Jesus. Um, but so we're all on the same page or know some truths about the Christmas story, because sometimes uh, over time, themes can be shadowed by our culture. I will, that's probably better to say it that way. <laughs> by our own lens, we, we tend to kind of project things onto uh, biblical truths, and we make them to be Santa Claus or something different than what actually the Bible says. And we may know the Bible, what the Bible says, but we get caught up in the story or the commercialization of Jesus, if you want to say it like that. And so things change over the years, and things get added to the story that wasn't ever in the Bible. And so we want to kind of differentiate some of those Initially, and then we'll jump right into um, some things that I've learned. So one, of course, and we all know this, is that Jesus was not born on December 25th. It is just the day that we chose to recognize that. I see some of you are surprised. <laughs> uh, but you, you, you'll, you will be surprised at how some people think that that is today, you know, and not that's just the day that was chosen. And there are different schools of thought as to why that was chosen uh, and, and I didn't want to get into all that, so I just left it at that because it can, we can go down a whole other rabbit hole uh, if we kind of discuss that in, in depth. But the, it is not on the 25th. Another thing that I learned this this time in studying this is that um, so th- there's an issue with uh, the end, and I don't know if they'll put that up there as well. So I'll read it. So uh, the matter of the end with no room is one of most historical misunderstood uh, aspects of the Christmas story. So the word, and this uh, kataluma, 
K-A-T-A-L-U-M-A, often translated in, refers to guest quarters. So it's not actually a hotel or a motel or inn. It's actually the guest quarters. Uh, but so many times we, I think we think of it as Mary and Joseph went to a hotel. They didn't have room in that hotel, <laughs> and so they put them in, uh, in the stable or, or barn. And that is not the truth. Uh, most likely, Mary and Joseph stayed with the family but the guest quarters were too small for childbirth, and hence Mary gave birth to uh, Jesus in the main room of the house, uh, which would have had a manger at that time because sometimes they let animals roam in and out of their their main the main room of the house. So, so if you were like me and you were thinking that it was a literal inn or Motel Six or something, and Jesus got turned away, uh, it was not. It was a family. It was a family. They went to go stay with family. The guest quarters, which uh, it's translated as Cataluma, I think, is often translated as in. So that's just a nugget of some things that may have gotten uh, misconstrued or thrown out there that we may not have understood. Um, and then some of these other ones I, I kind of knew. Um, where Luke talks to has shepherds visit the baby, a symbol of Jesus' importance to ordinary folk. Uh, Matthew has magi uh, from the east bringing Jesus' royal gifts. There were probably not three magi as they are not kings, or they were not kings. In fact, there's no mention of how many magi uh, in the Bible. There could have been two or 20 or however many. The tradition was three because they bought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But they never did say that they were actually three magi. It just says the magi showed up. Notably, uh, sometimes in the nativity scene, we see Mary on a donkey. Uh, and then there are animals gathered around the baby Jesus, and that's how sometimes we think that it happened in a barn or a stable. But that is not true, I mean, because if we go back to the first point, I made, uh, second point I made about that being in the main house, they, they were animals roaming, but they weren't, lit, they weren't like a barn with horses and donkeys and stables in the main house. Um, but sometimes it is depicted in nativity scenes that there are animals actually literally at the feet of Jesus, and that is not, that's inaccurate. And there, there are different schools of thought as to when that happened, when that was added on several years later. Um, and it was thought that when maybe 15 or 20 years after uh, Jesus' death, when they started doing nativity scenes, started to come on the scene, that um, because the plays that they did were outside, sometimes the animals would be there, and so they would gather the animals around as a part of that scenery. And so then... That just took off from there. So then we have nativity scenes with animals in it that are not accurate or not biblical at all. So uh, is that new for people? Did you know that? Maybe it was just me. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So uh, let's see. Another thing, the Magi visit the house um, was actually probably two years later than the birth. So Jesus may have been two uh, if you look at Matthew 2 and 16, it talks about Herod, the king, killing the babies that were two years old or younger. And that was based off the fact that they thought Jesus might have been, they didn't know when Jesus might have been born. And so the Magi were visiting him to give them that information. Uh, and so it was much later that the Magi actually visited Jesus and it wasn't at his actual birth uh, or when he was a, a new baby. Uh, and then there was some some information about the delay, why most Christian churches, I don't know what they say most, but some Christian churches celebrate the visit of the Magi on what they call Epiphany, which is January 6th. And I've heard some 
semblance of that, but I didn't know that that was the name of it called Epiphany. Uh, so yeah, Google some of this information if you want. It's a great tool. Um, but and there are, there are other things that I think have crept into our Americanization, uh, our culture when it comes to uh, Jesus and his birth. And so it is important that we distinguish between what is biblical and what is what people have added. Because if they'll do it with this birth and they'll do it with his death and they'll do it with everything in between. And so we want truth. We don't want just what someone commercially sells us or presents to us and assumes that's the truth. So getting into what we what can we learn from the birth of Jesus Christ? This is really what I've learned, and you may have learned some of these things as well, or not. I don't know. We'll see. And again, if you glean certain things from the Christmas story and you want to share it, then let me know. Email me, text me, and um, I'll be sure to give you credit. If it's really good, I may not give you credit. I'll just say I thought of it myself. You know, <laughs> but no, I'll give you credit. <laughs> So number one, what I've learned from the birth of Jesus or the Christmas story is that God fulfills his prophecies and promises. Ultimately, uh, the birth of Jesus was not something that was unknown. It was announced year, thousands of years before, hundreds of years before. Uh, Micah uh, talks about prophesied that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem in Micah 5.2. Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would be born of a virgin in Isaiah 7, 14. Uh, Genesis, from the beginning, Genesis tells us that Jesus would be a descendant of Abraham in Genesis 22 and 18. So it, it was not a surprise that Jesus was going to be born. The Old Testament foretells or foreshadows of a Jesus coming, a Savior that will come and take away the sins of this world. So um, it is God fulfilling the prophets that prophesied and the promises that were before fulfilling that in the birth of Jesus. So that is important. I learned from that is that God will fulfill those same prophecies and promises in my life. Um, that he if, if, if someone has spoken a word over me or prophesied over me or he has told me promises that he's going to do in my life, he is going to fulfill that. Uh, whether it's within the this time or later, he will fulfill those promises. Uh, and it goes into my second one, uh, and this is from Luke 1:37, and it specifically says that no word, the angel said, no word from God will ever fail. So gleaning from that God will fulfill his promises and prophecies, number two is no word from God will ever fail. And I get from that is that when he tells me something and in his word, I believe it and it will not fail. It will come to pass. It is truth. I can, I can rest assured that if God said it, he will do it. And if he said it in your life, if he's spoken it over you, if he promised some things over you and you don't see it, just believe that he's, his word will come to pass because he will not lie. It will not fail. And so I, have, I can rest my laurels, not really rest my laurels, but rest assured that God will fulfill what he said. So number one, God will fulfill his promises uh, and prophecies. And number two, no word from God would ever fail. Um, The third thing I learned is that favor ain't fair. That's kind of a Christianese kind of language uh, or quote. That favor isn't fair. God found favor in an ordinary woman named Mary. And it doesn't go into any detail. And I look, uh, and maybe you biblical scholars can uh, school me, (laughs) um, that 
why Mary was chosen. She found favor. And so the phrase highly favored uh, is from a single Greek word in Strong's Concordance is 5487, and it's called charitu. I think I'm pronouncing that right, C-H-A-R-I-T-O-O, the little dash over the last O, which essentially means much grace. So it just really means that Mary received much grace from God. So that highly favored doesn't mean that she was any more special than anyone. She wasn't any better than any of you who are here. She just received much grace from God. And so he decided to choose her uh, as the vessel that he was going to bring forth his son. That's good news for me. I don't know. (laughs) I glean from that is that he can choose me. He has chosen me. He has chosen all of you. Uh, as his sons and daughters. And so his favor isn't fair. He is a sovereign God, and he chooses what he wants to do. And I get blessed in that, in that she was just, she wasn't a queen. She wasn't a princess. She wasn't rich. She wasn't, um, didn't say she was struck with a lot of beauty, or they didn't, those descriptors are not in there about Mary. And I'm not saying that she was an ugly woman. I don't know Mary. But I'm saying that it doesn't go into detail as to why he chose Mary. It was just God's grace was on her. And so he, he decided to choose her. And his grace is on us. And so he's chosen us to be his sons and daughters. And so he can bring miraculous things through us and in us. And he can birth things through us. Is that right? And I'm talking to myself. I'm very okay. I'll preach to myself today, but uh, <laughs> but you can get that same highly favored grace that Mary received in your life, and God can do miraculous things, and is doing miraculous things in your lives as well. Um, so I am encouraged that God can choose ordinary people to do extraordinary work. Um, the fourth thing that I have is do not despise humble beginnings. Uh, Jesus was born. In the main room of a house, a uh, regular house, family member's house. Um, and it goes into, I won't go into details, but uh, if you look at Luke 2 7 or Zechariah 4 10, Job 8 7, it talks about do not despise humble beginnings. Uh, and what more humble beginning is that we didn't have room for you in the guest quarters, so you're going to have to be in the living room to birth your child. Um, and there was no fanfare, there wasn't a parade, there wasn't a party. There wasn't a, it wasn't in a king. Like I said, Mary wasn't a prince, and jo, uh, Joseph wasn't a, a prince. Mary wasn't a princess. Uh, they weren't royalty. They weren't a royal family. They didn't have a lot of money. Uh, I didn't say in particular they had any money. Um, so, again, I am blessed by that in that God can choose regular people and that my humble beginnings uh, in Kinston, North Carolina, uh, God can still do great things in me, just as he can in you as well. So wherever you start, don't don't uh, think that just because your start was small that your ending cannot be great. Uh, because it, God looks at that small thing that you have, and he can bless that and multiply that. And do great things in you and through you because of those humble beginnings, just like he did in Jesus. Um, so then five, the fifth thing I have is family matters don't matter. Let me say it again. Family matters don't matter. 
Jesus had been immaculately conceived, but there is much about his origins, as the gospel makes clear, that is unimmaculate as any contemporary church scandal. Um, and you can go back and, and um, Matthew, the lineage of Jesus, and look at uh, those people that are singled out and kind of do some research on them. Um, he didn't come from a, a line of great, wonderful people uh, that were royal, that had lots of money, and they, they were privileged. That is not the case at all. There were some people who were kings, uh, but he came from people who were who was like Jacob, who's scheming and dishonest, who stole his brother's Esau's birthright. He came from a lineage of David, who whom Jesus explicitly connects himself with, but uh, David committed adultery and then has the husband of his mistress killed uh, in war uh, and to cover up an unwanted pregnancy. Uh, it talks about the women that Jesus is from. Uh, some of them were considered a harlot, like Rahab. Uh, some of them like Tamar, seduced her father, seduces her father-in-law. Ruth, a Moabite woman who was outside the official religions of her time, a Bathsheba, a Hittite woman, an outsider who commits adultery with David. We talked about that already. Uh, But these are not people that you hold up and say, I'm from this great family, this great lineage, and this is who I'm from. No, those are probably things to try to keep in the closet that you don't tell people about. And you wouldn't want anyone to know. Uh, but this is who Jesus is from. And I think it is important. What I get from that is that my family matters don't matter. So whether how I was conceived, what grandma and grandpa did, what great grandma and what happened 100 years ago doesn't matter when Jesus is involved, when the Holy Spirit and God is involved. It doesn't matter. Because he, if Jesus can be born in this kind of situation, from this kind of lineage, from this kind of family, then that gives me hope that God, there, there is much that can be done with me. Um, and I'm not going to throw all my, all my um, family skeletons out of the, of the closet. But <laughs> I will say those are, those are things that are similar. We can find similar historical markers in our own family from our own aunts and uncles that are, not, that are imperfect people. And, it, and this encourages me that God can use the imperfect to do a great work. He does not call us to be perfect, but he will work perfection in us. But he calls us to just be willing, just to be open. So my family, if we're complaining and we're worried about, well, I'm not from a great family and my family doesn't have this kind of money, my family drives this kind of car, and what they don't have or do have, that doesn't matter to God because he took Mary and Joseph two basically unknown people, and did um, birth of Jesus. Um, and, and even in the situation that Jesus was born in, I mean, people whispered that she was pregnant, and it wasn't Joseph's child, and those kind of rumors went on. They even called him a bastard at some point uh, in the Bible. And so you can be encouraged. You can glean from this that, no matter the situation, God can use that and do great work in me. So no matter how small, no matter how horrible, no matter how dirty, no matter how how insignificant you may seem, God can still use you. I often think of, like, I gave my money in the offering. I don't have any. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you take a $20 bill and you 
crinkle it up, and you throw it on the ground, what is it still worth? If you take that $20 bill and you throw it in the mud, what is it still worth? If you take that $20 bill and you put some drugs on top of it, what is it still worth? If you take that $20 bill and you put it in the bad part of town and you run over it with the car, what is it still worth? Isn't that great? <laughs> because God is saying you're still worth something no matter what, no matter where you're from. You still have the same value. Your value hasn't diminished because of the things you've gone through, because of where you're from or what kind of how you got here. You're still $20. I'm going to say you're 100. You're a million dollars. <laughs> but you still have that same value. So whether you came from the president's house or from the poor house on the wrong side of town, you still have the same value. And you still have the same worth. And Jesus can still use you in the same way. I'm encouraged by that. So family matters don't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, the sixth thing, let's see if we go. Yeah, right, here we go. The sixth thing, all are welcome in the birth of Christ. And this goes back to Family Matters that um, God, who wrote the beginnings with crooked lines, also writes the sequence with crooked lines. And some of these lines are our own lives and witnesses. A God who did not hesitate to use the scheming as well as the noble, the impure as well as the pure. Men whom the world hearkened and, and women whom the world frowned. This God continues to work through the same lineage. If it is a challenge to recognize the last part of Matthew's genealogy that is totally unknown to people were part of the story of Jesus. That story, the, those, those historical markers, those people, no one knows them. It, it, they're not great people. They're not seen as wonderful people. If you look at the last part of the genealogy in Matthew. Uh, it may be greater challenge to recognize the unknown characters of today are as an essential part of this sequence. So even you may feel like you're unknown, uh, but your story still matters, and it is woven together in this whole thing we call life that God is using to bring forth greatness in his church. Christianity isn't just for the pure, the talented, the good, the humble, and the honest. The story of Jesus Christ was written and keeps getting written to be, uh, I'm sorry, the story of Jesus Christ is also written and keeps getting written by the impure, the sinners, and the calculating schemers, by the proud, by the dishonest, and by those without worldly talent. Nobody is so bad or so insignificant or so devoid of talent or outside the circle of faith that he or she is outside the story of Christ. So we are all welcome at this birth of Christ. The seventh thing, and I've gone through six, I'm, let me go. the first thing was fulfill his promises and prophecies, or prophecies and promises. The second was no word of God will ever fail. The third thing I've learned is favor ain't fair. The fourth thing is do not despise humble beginnings. The fifth thing is family matters don't matter. The sixth is all are welcome in the birth of Christ. And then the seventh thing I, I have here is the divide between the spiritual and the physical becomes non-existent when, Jesus, when uh, Jesus comes on the scene. So, so many times we look at life as, well, there's the spiritual part over here. 
that I deal with maybe on Sundays, maybe on Sundays. <laughs> and then there's the rest of my life over here um, that I work with on Monday through Saturday. Uh, and so we try to keep these two separate worlds, and there's the spiritual and then there's real reality. When the truth is that Jesus made those worlds, they combined those worlds. Um, it says that in him we move. Uh, in Acts 17, 28, it says, in him we live, we move, and we have our being. So it is all spiritual. There's nothing natural. <laughs> it is all, everything can be used by God. In your world, whether you think it's Monday through Saturday is separate from the Sunday or the spiritual, he's, he's using it all. He's using what you're doing on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday. He's there on Monday, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. He's there all week. He's there all day, all night. He is using all of you to fulfill what he has in you. He's not separating out where there's this Virgil here, and then there's a spiritual part that I have here. It's all together. He's using the bad and the good, and he's mixing it up. It's all a big stew in the crock pot of Christ. <laughs> he's stirring it up, and he's tasting us to see if we're ready. Um, and uh, he's, and that's how it is. So creation, occasionally, uh, he has to interject himself physically in creation. Um, but he is creation. He is everything, in, in everything, in all things, and we are in him. And so there is no, I'm separating myself from Christ. I'm separating out of his work. It's all his work. It's all his. So there's no divide between the spiritual and the physical. It's not existent. Uh, number eight, we can see what God looks like in Jesus. And um, I know that I should have, I should have mentioned this in the beginning, um, that he, Jesus isn't white, uh, or he didn't have blonde hair, long hair, and he doesn't look, I know some of you are surprised, like what? <laughs> that is what we've projected. I, you know, I, I forgot, we have my video queued. Oh, gosh, thank you. Uh, yeah, so this is a funny little little snippet. It's, it's funny to me. You may not find it funny, but it's funny. So we'll play that now. I, I, I swear to play that in the beginning and I completely forgot. You ready? All right. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Summer's ready. Come on, y'all. I've been slaving over this for hours. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the South call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR as we call them. And of course, my red hot smoking wife, Carly, who's a stone cold fox. Mm. Also, want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? 
I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Dear tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled up fist palm. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. Ricky, finish the race. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says like, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus like with giant eagle's wings and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with like an angel band. And I'm in the front row. Hey, Cal. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Dear eight-pound, six-ounce, newborn infant Jesus, don't even know a word yet, just a little infant, so cuddly, Mm. but still omnipotent. Mm. We just thank you for all the races I've won and $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! Love that money that I have accrued over this past season. Also, due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace, I just want to say that Powerade is delicious, mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Mm. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. 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 Let's dig in. Hell, hell of a grace, man. You nailed that like a split hog. I appreciate it. Oh, that's so funny to me. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I went to show that earlier, but um, it kind of gets to we see what Jesus looks like. And so, obviously, they see Jesus uh, the ba- as a baby, <laughs> one of them. Uh, one of them. And, and so, sometimes, get to the bigger point in the beginning I mentioned it, is that sometimes we project on people in general definitely in, in our God, uh, our experiences or what we think here, we project what we have here onto what Jesus is and not necessarily the representative of what is truth. And so is that I like the Jesus with the tuxedo t-shirt. I mean, I love that because I like my Jesus to party too. You know, he's formal, but he's down to earth. I love that idea. That, uh, <laughs> uh, but sometimes we project things onto Jesus, how he, he looks or how he, he thinks based off of our own life experiences, and we color him and to make him look um, like, like he's maybe not looking, maybe he, like he doesn't look, I'm sorry, or, or we put characteristics on him that because of our own failed experiences, and so that's why we don't trust him because we uh, we didn't trust our father or because things happened to us. And so we, we project that onto Jesus, uh, unfortunately. And it's not uh, representative of what the truth of what he is and who he is. So let me go back to the point eight. And, I, uh, and that is the clean version. So if you go looking for that and you don't find the clean version, it's not my fault. Because there's some words in the, the, the real movie in the un, unedited version, but that is the edited version. My wife told me to make that disclaimer, but she said, somebody's going to go look for that, and they're going to find it, and they were like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's like, All right, I'll make that disclaimer. This is the edited version, because um, there are some, some imperfect words in the unedited version. Um, but the eighth thing, we can see what God looks like in Jesus. Uh, Jesus says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. For, who, for whatever the Father does, that the Son does 
likewise, and that's in John 5:19 and also John 14:9. Uh, so if you want to see what God looks like, look at Jesus. If you want to see what God does, look at Jesus. He touches the disease and outcast. He hangs out with the oppressed and the forgotten. He rebukes the religious self-righteous. He knows his text. He teaches. He serves. He feels. He invests. He forgives. He suffers. He is misunderstood. He heals. He is intentional. He is the image of the invisible God in Colossians 1.15. And by the way, we also look like him as well if you look at Genesis 1, 26 and 27. So if you want to see what Jesus, uh, God looks like, look at your neighbor. Isn't that deep, right? <laughs> if I want to see what God looks like, look at the person next to you. Because we're made in his image. Or look in the mirror. We're made in his image. And so you may say, wow, you know, I can't put anything, I can't put a color, I can't put hair texture on God. I can't put those because it's different. Everyone is different. And so what does that say about our God? is that he's representative of all of those things, and we are in him. And so I can't project my own self-image on him because I look like him, but you look like him just as much as I look like him, just as much as the person in Asia and Europe and Australia and Africa, they look like him as well. Um, So we see what God looks like in Jesus, and we also see what he does as well and who he touches. This is important. I think I'm going to do one more because I have, I have, I think I, I sent 11 to you, but I have like 13 or 14, but we'll get to those next week. So don't, <laughs> yeah, we'll get to those next week, but uh, I think we'll do one more. Uh, so number nine, God works in the ordinary. So the uh, Christmas stories uh, lets me see that God works in ordinary men and women. It's like Joseph and Mary. He's working and ordinary people just like us. Every day, all the time, birthing things in us, doing things through us, uh, presenting his word when we're out witnessing, when we're out, when we're just out being, he is working in us. In our ordinary day-to-day activities, God is working in us. And sometimes it's hard to believe because we, because, it's hard to believe because we separate the spiritual from our everyday life so much. We don't think God is in us shopping at Walmart, but God is. <laughs> we don't think God is in us, you know, in our day-to-day work with whoever we're encountering, but God is. And the more we hit, we invite him or let him in that, then you'll be able to see how much more he is involved in that um, and how much he wants to be involved in our everyday, day-to-day checking in with him all the time and seeing how we can be used uh, for his kingdom and to serve other people. Um, yeah, so email me, text me what you have. It could be small. It could be grand if you think it's a great idea. Like, oh, I learned this, or I, I get this from uh, the Christmas story. Send it to me. Uh, and then, like I said, I might give you credit. I might not. <laughs> but, um yeah, so this is a continuation. We'll finish up hopefully next week, um, and then I think I'm, I'm think I'm going to do the thirtieth as well. I'm not sure yet, but um, 
But, yeah, we'll finish up next week. But definitely let me know if you have anything to share that with me. Just stand to your feet, and we're going to do communion in a, in a minute. But I do want to close you out in a prayer from this just a message. Thank you for listening to this message from Pastor Taylor and Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.